0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers. The Old Testament book of Numbers. Now we're starting to progress a little bit quickly as we go to the life and ministry of Moses. And remember that for the most part, we're trying to hit the narrative parts. But we do want to hit some of the highlights of the law and some of the important things that God gives. And so. Uh, we had gone through the book of Exodus, we did a quick survey of Leviticus, and now we find our way to Numbers, and we're going to be kind of progressing fairly quickly. So we find our way to Numbers chapter number six, and giving a principle and a teaching that God gives to the people of Israel through Moses. And we want to see this important teaching that we find here. Look with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Numbers, Numbers, of course, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers and chapter number six. Numbers and chapter number six, and notice with me, starting at verse number one, Numbers chapter six and verse one, the Bible says this, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves, to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine, nor vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. And all the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is made from the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. And all the days of his the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy, and shall let the locks of his hair grow, and all the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body, and he shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or for his sister. When they die, because of the consecration of his God is upon his head, all the days of his separation he is holy unto the Lord. And if any man dies suddenly by him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing, and on the seventh day shall he shave it. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and shall make atonement for him that he sinned by the dead and shall hallow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. And this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he shall offer an offering unto the Lord, one he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb for the first year of the first year without blemish for a sin offering and one ram without blemish for peace offerings and a basket of unleavened bread cakes of fine flour mingled with oil and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil and their meat offering and their drink offering and the priest shall bring them before the Lord and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering and he shall offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread The priest shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering, and the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall take the hair of the head of his separation, and put it in the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. This is holy for the priest. With a wave Breast and the heave shoulder, after the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who hath vowed and of his offering unto the Lord for his separation, beside that his hand shall get according to the vow which he vowed, so he must do after the law. Of his separation, and if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Numbers, chapter number six, the book of Numbers, chapter number six, and notice with me in verse number two, notice the ver- uh, the phrase "Vow of a Nazarite, vow of a Nazarite, and with this. We're going to give you the instructions of the vow of the Nazarite and then give you an application. How does this apply to us now? But we want to understand this vow that was made for the Hebrew people. Now remember, we're Gentile people. We're not under the law. This vow is not something that we do. But we can learn a principle from it by studying this, the vow of a Nazarite. Well, if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Lord, I'm asking that you would just give us grace and that you would give us mercy. Help us to understand this principle here, that we could get through this, that it would be something that would come alive, something that would be help, something as we teach this. Lord, with this, oftentimes people said, well, I, I know the, the principles of it. And then they turned me off. Lord, I don't want that. Help us to see it with new eyes. And be able to see how does this affect us here today. Lord this is something I cannot do myself. So the best I know how. I ask that you forgive me Lord of anything that may hinder me. I surrender myself to you. I yield myself to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. Thank you Lord in Jesus name. Amen. Now the vow of a Nazarite was a vow taken by individuals to dedicate themselves to God. These were done by people who desired to yield themselves together or yield themselves to the Lord completely. And so someone who would take this vow would be a purposeful, intentional vow that said, I want to dedicate a certain period of my life to be, serve God, to do whatever He would tell me to do. I want to give to myself to Him completely. And so with this, we can see that the vow of the Nazarite actually had five features. Five features that you would see. Now, we know there there are rules, and those are the rules uh, that most people are familiar with. But there are five features that are found with the vow of the Nazarite. The first part of the, the first feature that we find is that this vow was voluntary. This vow was voluntary. Notice with me in verse number two. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to a vow vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord. The first thing we find here is that this vow was voluntary. It was for individuals who made the decision for this special vow. I want to dedicate myself to God. I want to dedicate myself completely so God would have... Something for me. For a period of time, I want to completely sell myself out to the Lord. Now, this was not done by divine command, meaning that God did not demand that they separate themselves, that they took this vow. He wanted this to be something that people made a choice, a volunteer for it. I want them to choose. To separate themselves unto me. I want them to choose. By their own willingness. To say I want to be completely to the Lord. What a wonderful God. That he doesn't force this upon people. We all know. That people who do not want to do something. It it makes everything difficult. Hey I want you to serve God. I want you to do this task for me. I don't want to do it. Fine. Fine. Well, then that task becomes more tedious for everyone. God says, no, I want someone with their own choice to choose to separate themselves unto me. I want them because they want to, not because they have to. By the way, that's how serving God is. I don't serve God in order to get something from him. I serve God because of what he's already done for me. Out of a thankful heart. I'm thankful for what God has done. And so in response to him, God is always previous. In response to him, I am making a choice to serve him completely. To separate myself completely for a period of time. I'm separating myself. Now we know that there are three individuals that were dedicated By God's command. That God says I want them separated out. And their parents took them upon them. These are three exceptions. Now because of those exceptions. We usually look at those exceptions. And and imagine that's how the vow is. But people would take this vow all the time. And people would make a willing choice to do so that they would dedicate themselves voluntarily. We'll talk more about some of these people and some of these things that happen. Uh, But we start off with the first feature of this. It was voluntary. The second feature that we find of this is this vow was for men or women. This vow was for men or women. Notice with me in verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of an Ezraite. So this vow was not just for men. This was something that anybody could make a choice to serve God, to dedicate themselves, to separate themselves unto God. God, I am making the choice to serve you. So what we're doing is we're understanding that anyone can make the choice. I want to separate myself unto God. I want to serve God. I want to concentrate, create myself to God. Now often this vow was given because of personal reasons such as thanksgiving for a recovery of illness or maybe for a birth of a child. So maybe they would have been praying, God I've been sick, Lord please heal me, please heal me and God healed them. And because of their thankfulness for God answering their prayer, seeing them through, they said, God, for a period of time, I'm separating myself unto you to whatever you would have me to do. I'm separating myself completely to whatever you would give me to do because I'm thankful for what you've done for me. Remember, this is doing it not in order to get something from God. They did it because of what God has already done for them. So it was something previous God, you answered my prayer. God, you took care of me. God, you allowed me to have a child. And I never thought I would have a child. And so because of that, for a period of time, I'm serving you. For a period of time, I am completely separating myself unto you. What a wonderful thing. Now, there was a restriction for women that a father or a husband can rescind that vow. And again, this is... A principle of authority. So let's say that a lady said, you know what? If God answers this prayer, God answered this prayer because of that, I want to dedicate myself to God. And her father, she's living at her father's home, says, you know what? This is not wise for you to do right now. I'm looking out for you. He could rescind that vow. Now you say, that's so horrible. Someone's trying to serve God. No, what we understand always is that God always, serving God means submitting to authority. At all times. Submitting to authority. Maybe I'll give you an example. Let's say that we have a kid that's been coming to church. And their parents have been co- haven't have been coming. But we ask permission. We've been bringing them to church. And then something happened. Uh, and the ki- the parent said, listen here. You're not going to church anymore. Do we help that kid rebel and say, you know what? Sneak out your window. We'll get you to church anyway. No, absolutely not. We work through authority. And pray that God works and takes care of that. God always works through authority. There's, in order to serve God, you cannot rebel against authority. We understand this principle here that we find clearly within this. So we start off, the first feature is that this was voluntary. No one was forced to take it. They chose to take it. The second feature we find of it is that either men or women can do it. This wasn't set aside for one person or another it could be anyone who decided to serve God as long as we're still obeying authority because serving God means obeying authority a third feature that we find in here is that this vow had a time frame this vow had a time frame notice with me in verse 8 all the days of his separation he is holy unto the Lord notice in verse 13 And this is the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled. So this had a time frame. Usually there was a time frame of a vow. Normally it was not a lifelong vow. Now there were three people that took a lifelong vow of of separation. And they were Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist. Those are the three exceptions. Those had a lifelong vow all of their life. And they're famous. Normally, when you think of um, the vow of a Nazarite, you would think of those. Normally, Samson, because he broke them all, uh, he messed up his separation. But normally, someone will just do it for a small period of time. So let's say that someone recovered from an illness. And out of a thankful heart, you know what? For the next two months... I'm just separating myself to you, God. I'm putting myself to you at your disposal. My life is going to be holy and acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. I'm going to serve God. And I'm going to set myself, whatever you'd have me do, Lord, for the next two months, I'm yours. And so they would take this vow. Now... We see that even the apostle Paul, while he was the apostle Paul traveling, he took the vow of a Nazarite. The Bible makes mention of that, that he had taken this vow. And it even goes through the thing where he went through the ceremony afterwards to uh, cut cut his hair. And we'll cover more of that in a second. But even Paul, while he was an apostle starting churches, he took this vow for a small period of time. So this was something that people would take for a small period of time. So we start off with the features. It's voluntary. It's for men or women. It was for a time frame. It had a time frame. But we also see this vow had rules. This vow had rules. What were the three rules? The three rules that we find in here is that, first of all, they could not drink grape juice or any alcohol. All right? So they could not... um, uh, drink grape juice or any alcohol. Now, it went so extreme as grape juice, they were supposed to be drinking water, not grape juice, and it goes through. They're not even supposed to eat raisins, anything that comes from the vine. They're separated into God, and so they're even changing their diet as they separate themselves unto God. God, I want you to be my substance. I want you to be my fulfillment. God, I'm depending upon you during this time. The second thing Is that they could not cut their hair while this vow was in effect. Now you say, why is this a big deal? Well, because we understood that men especially, they would have uh, their hair that would be cut normally according to whatever culture they were. And when someone would grow their hair long, what it would be, it would be a sign of shame. I have not completed my promise to God. I haven't completed what God has given me to do. And this is a physical way of me telling everyone, I have not completed my my purpose. I haven't completed what God's done. Well, someone may say, well, how long is long? It's the opposite of short. Okay? So if your hair is not short, it's long. Does that make sense? Now, we know cultures dictate other stuff, but here it was an outward sign that everyone can say that's someone that's in public shame. He has not completed whatever promise he has made to God yet. Does that make sense? That's what it was to be an outward thing that it keeps accountability. If people could say outwardly, he has made a promise to God, like it or not, you live in a fishbowl, people are going to be watching to see if he kept your promise to God. Does that make sense? It's a way of keeping accountability of people watching you. Now, for eating, you could do a lot of things in private and get away with it, right? But here was something that people were able to watch, able to see. Then the third thing is that they were not able to touch a dead body because a dead body would be considered unclean. It would defile them. They weren't even supposed to touch the dead body of a loved one. That means if mom passed or dad passed, that they weren't even supposed to touch it. For example, we had a funeral yesterday, and um, I was officiating it, and we would, had an open casket, and it was amazing to watch person after person come up and kiss that dead body. It was just one of those things. Well, of the vow of a the Nazarite, they couldn't touch the body, even if it was a loved one in there. They had separated themselves unto God. They even had rules, which we just read a bunch of it, that if they... Uh, if they accidentally touched a body, if they're sitting next to someone and they're riding together in a carriage or something and the guy dies and he happened to touch him when he died, there was a ceremony that he had to go through and then all the time that he had set separated to God didn't count. He had to start all over and whatnot. They had rules. But this was to show that I'm purposely keeping myself clean physically, then I also am probably putting that much effort to keep myself clean physically spiritually does that make sense and so it was a representation it's a reminder I need to keep myself clean I need to keep myself clean before God I need to keep myself now all this was to declare that they were to belong to God they were to be separated to God by their personal life that's the drink they were to be separated in God by their social life their hair remember everyone would look and say they are ashamed they haven't completed something to god and they were separated by god in their spiritual life by not touching the dead so each of these was to show that they were separated in their personal life in their social life and in their spiritual life they were separated unto the lord now this is a a great distinction A lot of times when people think about separation, they think about separation from the world, but they do not separate unto the Lord. That separating unto the Lord is latching ourselves to God. May I give an example? We know that the world is always distant from God. And that the world is always getting further and further and further away from God. Well, if you have... Someone that's separated from the world, that means there's some space between them and the world. However, as the world moves away, the Christian also moves with the world. And so there's still a distance between them and the world, but they're so far, they get further and further away from God as the world moves on. We could see that in our Christian life. We could see that in our church life as you look back at what was acceptable and what was holy and what was how people have gotten further away from God in their spiritual life, even in churches over the last 30, 40 years. Do you know that the average church person 30 years ago knows as much Bible as the average preacher does today? That means the average church person, the person who's sitting in the pews, 30 years ago knows as much Bible as the average preacher does today. What has happened? Well, as the world is moving further from God, so does the church, so does people. And we know less and less about God because we're further away from Him. That's what happens when we're just separated from the world. But we're also both supposed to be separated unto the Lord. What happens is that we know that we're trying to be holy, trying to get closer to God, but there's always a distance. But if we're latched onto God, separated unto God, then what happens is the world gets further and further away. There's more distance between us and the world. Does that make sense? This is the problem that we have is that we don't like to be separate from the world. We don't like the world to look at us and say, Look at those different people. But the greatest evidence that the Bible is true is the evidence of a changed life, of something that is different. People can't say, understand. Listen, for years and years and years, I'm going to make people happy now. For years and years and years and years, we made a big deal about dress standards. That ladies should look like ladies and men should look like men. Because of the lack of separation now, (laughs) things have all got confused. Remember, there's always an attack on modesty and identity. The Bible declares this. Modesty and identity. And because of the lack of separation unto God, what happens is we get further and further away. Well, if we're separated into God, what happens is that the world gets further away from us and we look completely different. And we are completely different. By the way, let me remind you, as Christians, we are not better than the world. We're just different than the world. Does that make sense? We are different. And people don't like to be different. They want to be accepted. That's why Christians have a hard time with separation because we want to fit in with the world. We want to be so when the world is talking by the water cooler, we can participate in the conversation and sound like we know what we're talking about and laugh at the same jokes. But we're different. We do not fit in. The world is not comfortable with a Christian who's separated unto God. And the Christian cannot be comfortable with a world that's away from God. Does that make sense? What has happened is that the church doesn't like to be different. Christians don't like to be different. So we're a little bit separate. We're different than the world. But we're more like the world than we are of God. Does that make sense? This is what it's speaking about here is that the people are separating themselves unto God. God, what would you have me to do? And because of their separation, they become different in their food, what they're able to drink. So they're different in their personal life. They're different from their social life. People could identify them and say there's something, a public shame. There's something with them. They've separated themselves from God. There's something different about them. And they're different in their spiritual life by not touching the dead. Now, again, those were just three things, but they go further than that. There should be something different in us, in our personal life. There are certain things that we abstain from, In order to be separated unto God. Does that make sense? You know there are certain things that I can do that is not necessarily sinful. But I choose not to do in order to be separated to God. In order to be closer to him. A lot of people don't understand this. But remember this is a voluntary thing. Because I choose to be closer to God, I choose to separate some of these things out of my life in order to have Him. My goal is God. Does that make sense? My goal is God. There are certain things in my social life I choose not to do in order to have Him. There are certain things in my social life I choose not to watch. I choose not to listen to. I choose not to participate in In order to have him. And then in my spiritual life, there are certain dead things that I separate and I cleave myself to that I may have him. So we understand this is talking about someone who's voluntarily chosen. To go after God. God is my goal. And if God is my goal, there are some things that I'm going to be different from from society that society is not going to like, that society is not going to participate, not going to appreciate, not going to like at all. But my goal is not to make them happy. My goal is to please him. Does that make sense? This is the deal with with this vow of the Nazarite. So we talked about the vow of the Nazarite, that it has features. That first of all it's voluntary. That for second of all, that it had <coughs> uh, that it could be for men or women, that it had a time frame, it had rules. There's a fifth thing here: the vow had a ceremonial in. It has ceremonial in this was a sacrifice that was made to celebrate the successful vow. So someone would say, I'm going to separate myself for God for a period of two months, for a year, for whatever else. And during that time, they would separate themselves from the world and separate themselves unto the Lord. And when they finished off that vow, there was a a ceremony, a sacrifice. So they had to do cert- sacrifice, one for sin offering, one for burnt offering, and to make atonement. They would have to do this, and then they would have a, a, a ceremonial cutting of the hair to get rid of that extra hair, and then that hair was placed on the altar, and then the priest would make a final sacrifice to mark the end of the vow. Now Paul, when he was finished, he ended this, but Another time when the Apostle Paul went back to Jerusalem, that so many people said, oh, look at Paul. They accused him of bringing Gentiles into the, um, into the temple. A lot of Christians had a misconception about Paul and say, look, he's trying to get rid of Judaism. That's not what he was trying to do at all. And so the, high, uh, the head of the church of Jerusalem at the time, which was James, the uh, author of the book of James, He went, Paul, in order to show these folks that you're not against Judaism, I have some young men right here that need to do the last, uh, that need to do this ceremony. And to prove to everyone else, I want you to oversee this ending of this vow. And I want you to pay for the sacrifices. Thanks. (laughs) And then I want you to do it every day. There was this thing they had to do every day. And then at the end, I want you to cut their hair. Paul, can you do this just to prove that you're not against Judaism? You're not against the Bible. You're not against the Hebrew people. Sure, you're my pastor. You're the pastor of this area. I'm the one here, so I will submit to you. And so he did that. And of course, in the midst of this, there became a riot by the Hebrew people. Did you see Paul? He's bringing Gentile people. Because we saw Paul outside hanging out with Gentile people. Now we see Paul in the temple. Therefore, he must have brought those he, uh, Gentile people into the temple, he's messed everything up. There became a big riot, and that was the incident where Paul got arrested and spent the next four years in prison because he was finishing up uh, several young men's time of clearing out this vow. Again, now when you read the story in the book of Acts, you say, Okay, I understand what's going on here. You had a few people that had finished off, they had made a vow to God, separated themselves out. The pastor of the church had asked, Paul to oversee this. In the midst of it, there was confusion, riot, whatever else. Paul got arrested, spent the next several years in prison. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I'm sure he was very, especially since he was asked to pay for the whole thing too. And he submitted to his pastor at that time. Okay, if that's what you would have me to do. But the vow has a ceremonial end. Now, let me tell you, this vow is not for us as Christians, However, we do have a principle that's applied. And turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. The book of Romans, chapter number 12. The book of Romans, chapter number 12. (laughs) And if you would not mind, notice with me my life verse. The book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So the vow of the Nazarite is not for us as Christians. Meaning that we're not supposed to separate ourselves and grow the hair out and do the other things. But the principle remains that we are to separate ourselves from the Lord. The principle remains that it is voluntary. God is not forcing you to. But this is something you should do. The Bible says that it's for men and women. And so notice this. In verses Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is. That good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the principle for the Christian. What is this Christian? Uh, principle. Now the Apostle Paul is writing, he's writing to the believers at Rome, and he's begging them. He says, I beseech you therefore. That word beseech means to beg loudly. I beg of you. I beseech you therefore. So because of the things that I taught you before, what did he teach him before? He's talking about in verse number, uh, chapter 11 verse 33. Oh the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways are past finding out. For or who hath known the mind of the Lord. Or who hath been his counselor. Or who hath first been given to him. That it may be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To, to whom be glory forever. I beseech you Therefore, so because of God's knowledge and wisdom being unsearchable, because we cannot know the mind of God, that it is so vast and so beyond, because we can't be His counselor, but knowing that if we honor God, it shall be recompensed unto Him again. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, that God can do all things. Because of the person and the character of God, I beg you, I beseech you, therefore... By the mercies of God. Now notice this. How do we do this? Not by our own force of will. But by the mercies of God. Knowing that it is God that has to help me. Knowing that I need God's power to even separate myself to him. Knowing that this doesn't come naturally. This is a spiritual thing that must require spiritual work. By the mercies of God that you present your body. Now when we're talking about bodies, what are we talking about? We know our bodies are made up of our five senses. Taste, touch, hear, feeling, smell, sight. (laughs) These are our senses, our bodies, how we interact with the world. This isn't talking about necessarily our spiritual. We're talking about our bodies. That you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Meaning that we separate our bodies Unto God what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we put in our mouths, what we feel. I give those things to God. Kind of like the vow of the Nazarite. There are certain things I choose not to touch. There are certain things I don't put in my mouth. There are certain things that I do with my body in order to separate myself unto God and from the world. As a Christian, if I present my bodies a living sacrifice, there are certain things I'm not doing with my body to be separated unto God. There are certain things I choose to separate from physically in this world, whether it's something I choose not to watch, something I choose not to hear, something I choose not to put in my mouth, something I choose not to feel or touch or go do anything in this physical realm that I may have him. Now this is voluntary. But because of who God is, Paul is begging us to do this. I b- beseech you therefore, by the uh, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Now we spoke about holiness on Wednesday. What is the purpose of holiness? The purpose of holiness is... Is that I'm supposed to be holy. I am supposed to go to God. Rather than have the temptation of trying to make God fit my ideas. When I am separated to God. And I'm choosing to live a holy life. I separate myself. And I choose to agree with God. I choose to conform my life to be like Him. Rather what happens if you don't separate yourself to God and you stay in your sin, you stay in your belief? You have to change God to fit your idea. That's why we have certain things like a Queen James Bible that changes all the pronouns from God from male to female. They have changed God in order to fit their idea. This is what happens You say that's an extreme case. We all do that. If we're not separated to God, we have to justify why our God will allow us to do the things that we do in our life. We have to change the character of God. But instead, because of who God is, I go to Him rather than force Him to try to fit what I think of. Again, this is why it's talking about God is unsearchable. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been the counselor? I can't do those things. I can't fit God into my narrative, my idea. I have to go to him and what he says. He is God. I am nothing. So I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Notice this. Acceptable unto God. For the vow of the Nazarite, were there certain things that was not acceptable for someone who took that vow to do? Yes. Well, as a Christian, I may not take the vow of the Nazarite, but we have the same principle. There are certain things that I want to do in my bodies that is acceptable unto God. Do you know that there are some things that are not acceptable unto God? We talked about in Sunday school today about Cain and Abel. That both of them gave a sacrifice. Both of them did it to worship God. Both of them gave their best. But God accepted Abel's but rejected Cain's. You said that's not fair. God should accept anything I give to him. No, not everything is acceptable to God. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. You say this is hard stuff for a Sunday morning. Yeah, but everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear the truth of what God says. That God wants us to choose, make a voluntary choice to separate ourselves to God. And if we do this, it's not do whatever we want and expect God to be pleased with it. God is not pleased with everything. God says that we should be, present our bodies a living sacrifice. We should present our bodies holy. We should present our bodies acceptable unto God. You know, sometimes people say, you know what, I'm going to use up my body however I want, and then I'm going to give God the leftovers. That's not acceptable. Now is the time to choose God. Now is the time to start where you are and move forward, not to do whatever you want and then give God the leftovers. That is not acceptable. But notice this, which is your reasonable service. Do you know that God is not giving you something that's unreasonable? In fact, if you are not serving God, you are unreasonable. How can you say that? Because Jesus Christ was God, robed himself in flesh, came on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross for you. And if he gave his self for you, is it unreasonable for you to give your life to him back? It's reasonable. You know, so many people said, God should be happy for me to show up to church. I meant, that's basics. That's what you should do. There should be no applause because you made it to church. That's reasonable. That's what you should be doing. Well, I read my Bible. Everyone announced how great I am. You don't get a parade for that. You're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know the principle of the unprofitable service, servant. is There was a servant Jesus told about. That did everything that he was supposed to do. But then he didn't get the applause. Why should I thank you. When you're doing what you're supposed to do. You know what's reasonable for the Christian. To present their bodies a living sacrifice. Unto God. Holy Acceptable unto God. That is our reasonable service. If we're not willing to separate ourselves to God, to separate ourselves unto Him, to live for Him, to push some things out of our life, we are the ones that's unreasonable. Let me tell you that if you are not in church right now, and you are physically healthy, and you are not in work, you are being unreasonable right now. You said, but I'm scared. You are unreasonable because there's a great God. But preacher, I can't read my Bible. Can you read? Can you do something? Well, I'm not doing it. Then you're unreasonable. Preacher, I can't pray. I just (laughs) have someone taught you. Can you talk to God? Well, then you're being unreasonable. You understand God's not asking us to do something above and beyond. He's not asking us to go slay a dragon. He's just asking us to be reasonable. When you hear about people like in Russia who has closed churches and hear some lady who every service has to walk through the snowstorm. And she does it faithfully. Walking miles on foot. Not in carriage. Not on horse. But makes herself to church. And gets there. And you go, oh, what a big deal. No, she's just being reasonable. In America, how can we define our Christianity? Unreasonable. Why? Because God has done so much for us. He's given his son, he's provided, he answers prayer, he does so much for us. Notice quickly verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we had a whole message on this not too long ago. You understand that at any point you are either being conformed to the world or transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind transformed? By presenting your bodies. How do I change the way that I think? By presenting your bodies a living sacrifice. You don't change your mind by, come on, come on. You do it by obeying with your body and God transforms your mind. But anytime that you're not presenting your bodies, you're not separating yourself to God, you're conforming to the world and becoming more and more like them. You're getting further and further away from God and closer and closer to what the world is. And the world system is against God. There is no such thing as a stagnant Christian. You're either getting closer to God or closer to the world at any point in your life. Hopefully you've learned to make that general trend on going towards God. But notice this. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. That means to show with evidence. It doesn't say that you may know the good and perfect. It says you may prove. It means that you've already been obeying. And because of this, you have proof that the things that you've been doing is God's good and acceptable and perfect will. Those aren't three wills of God. That is the three descriptions of one will of God. That it is good, that it is acceptable, and that it is perfect. The perfect will of God. And by the way, the will of God is the best place to be. This is the vow that the Christians can make. Lord, because of whom you are, I'm separating myself to you. And yes, I voluntarily do it. And you could be male or female. But there are certain things that I'm choosing not to do in my life that I may have you. Now, dear friend, where are you at right now? Have you made a purposeful, conscious choice to separate yourself to God? Now, this doesn't happen by accident. You don't roll over your bed one day and go, Guess what? I've been following God and I haven't known it. You do it by choice, a purposeful, conscious choice. Lord, I'm separating myself unto you. I'm separating myself unto you and from the world that I may have you, that I may be like you, that you can make me more like you. And as a consequence, this isn't the purpose, but as a consequence, I am sep I'm different than the world. As I separate myself to God, I will become more and more different than the world. And the world does not like God, and it will not like us being close to God. You have to understand that the world is going to be against it. The world's standards, the world's views, the world's ideas are completely against God. At any time, you're either getting closer to God or closer to the world. There's no standing still. So where are you at? Have you... Tonight, this morning, some people may uh, make a purposeful choice. I'm going to separate myself to you. I'm going to get closer to you. You said, I may have done this a long time ago. Yeah, the problem is, is that we forget the vow. We put it aside. We need to do it again. Are you making a choice to follow, to separate yourself unto God?